I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season 12 of the Parenting Aces podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week I am speaking with Dan McCain and Dave Howell of Seven Shot Tennis. Haven't heard of Seven Shot Tennis? Never fear. After this podcast, you will know all about it. And I urge you to go to the show notes on parentingaces.com for some very, very helpful and enlightening links that will give you even more insight into this unique way of looking at tennis matches, analyzing the data that is collected in a tennis match, and helping players become better versions of themselves. Before I bring these two gentlemen on, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, we would love to have you become a premium member of Parenting Aces. Just go to our website, click on the join button, and take a look at the options available and uh, have access to everything we've got on our site, our podcasts, our shopping, everything you need to be a better version of yourself as a tennis parent. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dan McCain and Dave Howell. Dan and Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I have had lots of conversations with y'all in recent weeks and months, but uh, this is the first time I've had y'all on together and super, super excited to jump into this conversation today. Well, we're happy to be here. Awesome. And y'all even speak in tandem. That's going to, you know, that's going to work out really well. (laughs) So I'm going to ask each of you separately and Dan, I'm going to start with you to kind of give us a little bit of your tennis story. How did you get started in the sport and what is your role in tennis today? Well, tennis kind of runs in, through my blood. My um, Everyone in my family plays, and both my parents at one point were college coaches, uh, so they went to work and came home, and we talked tennis all day long, and um, my dad's been a coach for his whole life, and he at one point he was the director of tennis at Saddlebrook, and he was a college coach, and... Um, he always told me when I was young, uh, if you ever want to start learning to play, just let me know. Otherwise, we'll do whatever you want. And uh, one day when I was nine, I said I wanted a lesson and one turned into two and two turned into five and so on and so forth. And um, I ended up uh, really getting into it, obviously. And um, we grew up in Illinois, so um when I was 15, we moved to Florida. That gave us a lot of opportunity to play. Obviously, at Saddlebrook, there's plenty of competition. At least there was back then. And um, ended up playing college tennis at Michigan. And then um, became a college coach for nine years, it was. And then now I'm a coach at a club in Virginia Beach. Love it. Love it. Dave? My story is a little bit different. Uh, I didn't start playing until I was in high school. Uh, and I took it up in a PE class. And the next year, I was on the tennis team in high school and played throughout that. And um, did go to college at Old Dominion. It was Old Dominion College at the time. Those are familiar with ODU. It's a little bit different now than then. Uh, then I spent a little time in the Navy because I didn't like going to class. Um, but when I got out, I hit it just right as far as the tennis boom was concerned. And when did that happen? It was 
when Chrissy Everett came on the scene and Billie Jean was doing her thing and Rod Laver was still playing. And I caught that wave just right and was able to ride that thing for 37 years at four clubs in the area here where I live in Virginia Beach. And as a coach, I went to each place I went to was uh, new at the beginning. Unfortunately, I look back now and all of them aren't so new <laughs> and trying to keep them up is, is a bit of a change, but I got lucky. So, And you were a coach at, at those facilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, always was interested in, in juniors, but certainly, you know, at clubs, you, depending upon the time of day, you're going to have certain populations that you teach. And, uh, I did get very, very fortunate, um, at the Virginia Beach Tennis and Country Club, which actually is right outside my back door. I worked here for nine years. And um, the folks that own the club, their youngest daughter was just plugged into tennis. And I got we got started together. My name is Julie Shifflitz, not Davidson, uh, in the mid-80s when she was in the 12s. And by the time we finished, she had a couple of gold balls and an Easter bowl. And so I got a great education and had the opportunity to travel with her for five years. And it was during that time that I actually got the beginning of what is now seven shot tennis. It'd be 20 years later before I got the seven shots. But it started <laughs> with that journey or that adventure with Julie. Love that. Love that. So you mentioned seven shot tennis, and that's what we're here to discuss today. So I'm going to just kind of throw it out to both of you. Um, First of all, can you just kind of give us the elevator pitch for what seven shot tennis is? And then we're going to dig into the details. You want to go with that, Dan? Uh, Sure. Um, (laughs) The the people at our company created UTR to get everyone better, uh, more competitive matches. And so seven shot tennis was created to help everyone play those matches better. Okay. And so you mentioned UTR and we didn't even mention that yet. Um, Both of you guys were involved in creating what we now know as the universal tennis rating. And yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> You're making a um, face, Dan. Dan was, too, Dan was actually too <laughs> I young. I want to then. take credit for that. Yeah, he, okay. was, he was too young then. <laughs> okay. So Dave was involved in that and creating it. And that's actually, you and I first connected when UTR was first coming yep. on the scene. Yep. And so kind of give us a little bit of that background. Like what made you think or realize that we needed something different? to help our sport? Well, that's, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question, too. It actually started in the year 2000 at a tournament in France for 12-year-olds where I got to go over and coach a kid who had dual citizenship. It was interesting because he couldn't get in the front in the tournament. It was a big tournament. Um, kids from all over Europe, uh, Canada, they didn't have an American team, though, but because there was one kid who had dual citizenship and they happened to live near where I was teaching at the time, um, I got invited over to be the American coach. And the significance of that was not, well, the relationship with the family 
let's see, 20 years later, we went to the kid's wedding. So that, that's a personal thing. And we've yeah. been back a number of times on a social basis. But what that introduced me to was the French Federation of Tennis's, I would call it a rating system. Uh, and it was all new to me. I'd heard a little bit about it. And I had some sense of, okay, I was told when I went over that if I could find a minus 15 that one of my coaching friends wanted to know who it was. And he almost bagged the guy, too. He ended up going to Duke there. Um, but that introduced me to the idea of level-based play. And so I went back a few more times and kept following it and kept asking the question, why don't we have something like this here? And then what that led to was I was along the way, there were so many steps where I was with the right people at the right time. Um, a guy named Miguel Rosa, who was working with me, ultimately ended up going down to Volatares and helping run their junior department. He was a good player from Brazil. He introduced me to another kid who kid, uh, who played at Old Dominion, who just graduated and um, was a uh, software developer. And I went to him because I was trying to run local tournaments with this level-based method. And Alex Pincato took it and said, Okay, I'm going to build something for you. And after about a year, he said, this thing really works. Why don't we flesh it out to Federer and Serena? So it was a combination of this guy knew how to do the website stuff, but he also was good at math. And he took my basic algorithm, if you will, and fleshed it into something sophisticated and mathematical. And that's how it got started. Um, Key person that came along was Dave Fish, whom I'm sure you know. Yes. Uh, 45 Former years Harvard, Harvard coach. So, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good pedigree. And, and uh, a tremendous Rolodex. <laughs> Connections were, and that got us into the ITA. David Benjamin was still there, whom I'm sure you remember. Yep. Uh, and it was, it was, you know, all those doors seemed to open at particular times. And getting into the ITA, uh, pushed us to go a little bit more international because of so many international players. And um, so that's that's basically the quick, I hope, quick UTR story. I do think it changed the culture. And what we're going to talk about today, I'm, I, I think analytics are becoming more and more a part of every sport. And I think the future in tennis is going to be more people looking for different ways to get analytics. And, and so marrying some of the things I learned from Universal along with some of the things I learned way back in the 80s, we, you know, I put this thing together. And the neat thing was guys like Dan got it. And so what I mean by that, this is a much younger guy than I am. And he started looking into it, and I would go over to his club, and I'd walk into where he was teaching, and I saw all these drop-down lines. Of course, seven shots. This guy really buys into this. One thing led to the next, and um, then you want to get involved in this? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's been our that's been our almost two years now of of that relationship, and um, I really look at Dan as. From a, from a player development standpoint, he does the things that I think the modern teaching pro, the 
particularly interested in developing players. Uh, he does the things that need to be done. He's good with technology. Some of the stuff we've sent you, you'll look at and see some of the things he's done. Um, but he has a philosophy, and seven shots been incorporated in that. And when he goes home at night, he does some other cool things that uh, make what we're doing a whole lot better. Love it. Love it. Dan, why don't you tell us what seven shot, like what are seven shots? What is, what is the significance of the name? Well, so the seven shots represent uh, target areas and what makes um, the system unique is, uh, is this ability to understand what a shot is and ability to see the court with more clarity and a, very uniform, simple way. So the seven shots are target areas and um, a shot is hit from a tactical position to a target area. And so we have um, taken what the ITF has done for decades with offensive and defensive and neutral um, tactical positions. And we've added some details, so much we feel much needed um, detail. to that. So for example, like um, being on offense is, uh, there are a lot of different versions of offense. So just taking over control of the point is not the same as hitting an approach shot. And that's not the same as being at the net. Um, So we've added added some detail and um, what it enables people to do is quite simply understand um, what a shot is, like I said before. And that means um, if you're hitting from neutral cross court, well, where cross court? Is it deep in the middle cross court? Is it in the corner? Is it a short angle? Um, or is it in the middle of that side? Um, right. So it, it just it allows people to um, easily understand what they're doing and maybe what could be done. And I want to just tell our listeners, if you take a look at the show notes on parentingaces.com, you're going to see links to videos and to web pages and to graphics that clearly illustrate exactly what we're discussing today. So um, please do check that out because when you see it in front of you, it makes so much more sense. Um, It's a little difficult to imagine it just hearing it, but when you actually see the graphic, it it's clear as day that seven shots are the different spots on the court. And basically, it's, you've kind of, instead of color coding a tennis court, you've number coded the tennis court. Yeah, we've number coded where the shots go and um, we've labeled where the shots can come from. Mm-hmm. And that 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 allows all kinds of things to happen as a result of having those two key pillars of the system with tactical positions and target areas, because it allows us to create a system of statistics that has never existed before. Meaning? So we're, we're really excited about our ability to um, chart matches and create analytics for people. And that's one of that's our. Uh, one of the biggest parts of our business is uh, generating analytics for juniors, for adults, and for college teams. And we have some pros that we've done stuff for. And um, 
one problem in our sport uh, is that people don't really pay attention to statistics in tennis that much um, because the stats we've had available forever are not that useful. Um, in basketball, for example, you have the normal stats like points, assists, rebounds, fouls, turnovers, and things like that. But you also have advanced stats that really tell the story of, you know, why one player was is really effective and why some players are only effective in some areas. Um, things like plus minus or team assist ratios per 40 minutes, um, defensive efficiency rating on switches. Those are very specific things um, that are very meaningful uh, in that sport. We've never had that before. And this system with seven shot tennis gives us the opportunity to have those kinds of advanced stats that really tell the story of why people win matches and maybe why people could have won some matches. Yeah. So Dave, we've had match tracking and, and basic stats for quite a while now Um, started with, you know, just taking notes on a pad at a match and then apps started to become developed and things like that. Part of the problem from where I sit as a tennis parent, not as a coach, is I would track my kids' matches, but I didn't understand what I was tracking or what to do with the information I was tracking. My kid didn't understand what to do with it, and my kid's coach didn't understand what to do with it. So basically, it it was in lieu of me you know, taking a Xanax or drinking a cocktail at his match, it gave me something to do to keep my mind occupied and keep my body language neutral and and all the things that we try to do as tennis parents, not to make our kids crazy when they're out there competing. What's different about seven shot tennis that is going to make this data and these statistics more useful to the player's and their coaches, and, you know, as an adjunct to the parents. One of the interesting things to me is we look at today, I spent some, you know, we're right in the middle of the U.S. Open, and Coco Golf is on a ride. And a year ago, um, Dan and I collaborated on an article about can Coco be number one, or what's, you know, why Coco can be number one. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll have are, a link to that in the show notes, by the way. Yeah. And, and I think people, if people look at that, it's, it's, it's extensive, a little lengthy, but I think you'll see how we approach things, which collecting the data, putting it together and seeing what it tells us. But as we're looking at players from pros to college to juniors and pretty much any level, you really begin to see that there are trends as to where winning shots go. And in our view, most winning shots go into the singles alleys. Hmm. Or singles alleys, those are same as doubles alleys. But they started half the service court back. So anybody, I think you can, if you play tennis, you can visualize a doubles alley. Just visualize four and a half feet inside the sidelines. That's where most of the winning shots will go once the ball is in play. And so that's the four, the five, and the six. Down the line. Cross court short, cross court deep. Uh, then you have okay with Alcaraz playing now. 
I mean, drop shots. I'm I, I'm really scared of what I'm going to see the next time I go to one of Dan's classes. Every kid's going to be trying to hit drop shots. <laughs> they climb and pump their fist. And uh, uh, we have a name for that. We just don't want to say it on air. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, well, I, I guess dodo is not too too rough, but there are no. drop shot dodos. Um, and so we've done a we've, we've got a thing ready to go out on you know genius or insanity with Alcaraz but then, then you, you know, all you got to do you know if you can hit a ball you know if I say to you Lisa would you prefer to hit a drop shot closer than that or closer to the service line closer than that yeah sure yeah. so how do you find that zone the drop zone you just start from the net go halfway back to the service line and that's that's the seven okay so when you take those things away you've got the one two three up the middle um and one of the things I saw when this whole one, two, three, four, five, six, seven thing came was I was watching UTR level one kids. They've just started playing tennis here in a summer program. Okay, ready to play. Most of the shots they hit landed in the one right around the service line T. And then as they got a little better, more shots started going beyond the T. And they began to move out of no man's land a little farther back. And then another level up, they weren't hitting all their shots of the three. We very rarely see that in junior tennis, but the three is closer to the baseline than the service line. So if that gives you a, a mental representation, one, two, three up the middle, diagonal shots, there's two of those, fours and fives down the middle, they go into the singles alley and you get the dropper. So we're taking data that answers questions using that set of guidelines. So it's like a map. It's a map, absolutely. And so, you know, there are certain shots from certain areas of the court that you're not normally going to try. Maybe too far back, mm. unless your name is Ben Shelton, <laughs> and you were down <laughs> set point, and you know you get a shot from Francis. Excuse me. And you hit 112 mile an hour forehand to the six on the deuce side from deep. That was so crazy. Seen that point, I just described that that shot in seven shot terms. It just reminded me of my own forehand so much. I swear that shot <laughs> really did. And your movement, right, Dan? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Dan's yeah. really got a good game, but not that shot. <laughs> I, like I don't think anybody has that shot, but Ben, maybe Djokovic. I, I don't know. But I, I, you know, I think Shelton is, I think he could be as disruptive to tennis in the next couple of days as I feel like Sampras was in 89 when he beat Lendl and Agassi back to back. Well, so by the time this airs, we'll know if you're, we'll know. We'll uh, if know. you're, if you're a good uh, prognosticator, but well, uh, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be pretty tough to go through um, Alcaraz and Djokovic. And, yeah. <laughs> and if anybody can do that, maybe it's 140 mile an hour serve. So seriously, we'll, I think it's, I think that's a pretty tough. Uh, I'm not going to go out. I, one thing I don't do is predict, <laughs> but I do like to collect data. Yeah. So, so that yeah, I, I hope that kind of gives uh, your listeners an idea of what the court looks like. I will say that those people who kind of into this stuff, uh, 
the app that you can pull down from the Australian Open and the French Open, you go to a thing called Court Vision, and then you look around and say, okay, I want to see all the winners that Djokovic hit. And I guarantee you they're mostly going to be in the singles alleys, four, mm -hmm. five, or sixes. Uh, what's missing is where they're hitting them from. And the other thing about where most of the winning shots are hit from, mostly from inside the baseline or right up on top of it. The farther you are from the baseline, the fewer winning shots you're going to hit. And if you are hitting shots from there, they're, they're fantastic or they're great defensive shots when you're in some trouble. Um, and so the reason I say all this is that when we look at junior players or uh, you know, the kids who are thinking about, you know, I want to continue to play tennis. Mm -hmm. One of the first things they have to understand, you lose it. What do you do well? What do you do not so well? And what aren't you doing at all? A big one I see with junior boys is they don't serve wide enough. Boom down the tee, boom right at you, whatever. But then you point it out to them, oh, well, I can do that. Well, one of the big problems that most players have is they don't understand where they make their most frequent mistakes from behind the baseline, into the net, over the three. And a lot of the reason that people, you know, these players <clears throat> don't realize that is because they don't take the time to watch themselves play very often. And one of the things we're really big into um, is video and finding any way possible to video practice matches, tournament matches, um, whatever you can get your hands on. And going back to the basketball metaphor um, or analogy before, it as a professional in these teams, they will watch the games or at the very minimum, uh, you know, like the Golden State Warriors, they'll have one of their video people put together a series of clips that illustrate um you know when this or that happened mm -hmm. so they can review the film right um, that well, is and and this is something thing. i've been talking about for a while and and the three of us have had this conversation as well is that junior coaches need to make money this is their they are in business and so for a player or a parent to expect a coach to take the time to review video and then sit down and go over that with the junior player and not get paid for that time is unrealistic. And so we kind of have to shift the paradigm and the mindset here that tennis lessons don't only happen on a tennis court with balls being hit. Tennis lessons also happen in front of a screen watching and analyzing play. Tennis lessons also happen, um, you know, at a professional match or at a college match, sitting and watching with a coach and analyzing the action as it's unfolding in front of you. I mean, there are lots of different ways to learn and get better as a tennis player. And that doesn't necessarily have to be on a court hitting balls. And so, we have to really get to a place where people understand the value of 
first collecting this data through, as you're saying, Dan, videotaping matches, and then being able to have the skills to understand what it is you're looking at and translate that into changing the way you play or altering the way you play, right? So there's several pieces to this that have to happen, but at the core of it, it's an understanding that we don't expect coaches to do this for free. We, exactly. we, the three of us, understand that junior coaches are in business. They have families to support. They have bills to pay. And so this should be part of a junior coach's marketing plan is to build in these video analysis sessions where you're not on the ball, on the court hitting balls. It's also a way for a junior coach to extend his or her career because it's a lot easier on your body not to be on the court feeding balls in 100 degree heat. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would flip that on its side too. Um, I would, given the the audience that you have, and you have a lot of tennis parents here, um, the parents are are oftentimes going to be the ones that implement this kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. example, if you're at a tournament, out of town. Um, the parents may be the ones that have to either bring the camera or iPhone attachments to the fences themselves um, or remind their kids to do it. Um, and then they may be the ones that have to, um, you know, o- at least oversee the process of um, getting the videos on a computer screen or whatever the case may be so they can actually be viewed. Right. Um, and and case, our- I would also add that the parents can also approach the coaches directly and say, I do not want you to go on the court next Thursday. I want you to go in the classroom or your office, and I want you to watch this match with my son or my daughter, and I want you to tell them what you think one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And that would be a way. I, I don't know any tennis pro that would say no to that um, yeah. for, for a variety of reasons. Um, number one, you're out of the sun. Number two, you're indoors in the AC. Number three, you're off your feet. Um, and number four, um, perhaps most importantly, it's it's a, a platform f- to communicate in an unlimited space uh, with the player. Um, uninterrupted yeah for an extended period of time that's relationship building that's trust building um that's whatever information exchange they those two feel are important um there's just it's a multi-level positive thing so agree agree 100 percent. and what i was going to say is The episode before this one um, was with Swing Vision. And so there are, you know, apps out there that make it very simple to record these matches. Um, Swing Vision even sells a bundle with, you know, a subscription with the the fence post to mount the camera on the fence um, or mount the phone on the fence. So, yeah, no excuses anymore for not recording these matches. And um, tournaments are getting much more lenient. We we saw a few years ago where, you know, you would have parents balk at, 
the other parent wanting to video the match or the tournament director saying, you know, no, we're not allowing that. But uh, it's starting to become the norm. And so, you know, we need to to take responsibility and get that done. Everything so much easier than it used left. Excuse me, Dan, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just finish my quick comment. I mean, everything we've been talking about the last couple of minutes is the culture change. You know, the, the culture change, trying to, to get people to understand. I always go back to Mary Carrillo's wonderful line from years ago that, you know, the game is great. Excuse me. Yeah, the game is great, but the sport is nuts. And so the whole thing with level-based play is we're losing players from a great game because we don't get them a good game. And now, with all the modern technology, the swing vision is great. Um, or you, you, you know, any any video you can do, and it just takes a fixed camera from behind the court, ten feet up, or even lower, and you get stuff that you can you can look at a point and you can answer basic questions: Was it a plus or a minus when it ended? Who hit it? Where did it go? Where was it hit from? Collect all that data, and you start seeing things fall in place. And Dan gets to work with these kids, and they'll come in, or he'll come in with stats and say, well, what do you think we need to work on here based on that? Um, but the other thing I think that you're touching on is even when I see pros go to tournaments, and I see a lot of them right in my backyard here in Virginia Beach, they're usually not just with one kid. Right. And how do you watch five or six kids, even if you brought more than, and are you there at the time in the match when, gee, it's the most critical? Video overcomes that. And yes, like you say, there's more than one way to teach a lesson. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the court, but it makes your court time better once you get back to the court. For sure. Dan, what were you going to say? Well, I was just, I was thinking about uh, the giant clunky video cameras I used to haul out and the horribly huge tripods onto the court in the, the uh, mid nineties and early two thousands. And it's so much easier than it used to be. I mean, we have the best, some of the best cameras money can buy in our pockets. Yeah, um, for sure. Everybody has a cell phone. So, um, you know, go on Amazon, get a fence mount, 50 bucks. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. We even have an article on our website about how to make one. So uh, you can even well, do yeah, it cheaper than that. Yeah. 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 I made one out of PVC pipe a few years ago. Yeah. So super easy. Yeah. So what is it that you guys want our listeners to understand about seven shot tennis and take away from this conversation? Well, there's a couple of things that we do. I think you mentioned um, swing vision. It's, it's great technology. There are other companies out there. Um, tennis analytics, I think is the, is the biggie. Certainly Craig O'Shaughnessy has been the face of all this stuff for a number of years. Um, there's another company that we, we run into, which is uh, Scissor, that you may not be aware of. It's, mm -hmm. it's a CZIR. And they'll, they'll take video and break it down. There's a couple of colleges we know that, that use it. 
Um, but you got to, where we differ is in two things. All the tools that we use, we also make those tools accessible to the coach or the player or you, the parent. And so when we deliver what we do, if someone were to come to us and say, well, here's the video, please analyze these matches from my kid. The ultimate thing that I want to have happen or I'd like to see have that happen is the coach says, well, this isn't very difficult to do. Maybe I should start doing this. And then the kid looks at it and says, well, I can answer those six questions. And you're the mom sitting in the stands. Well, now I see it a little bit differently. Oh, yeah. Great forehand to the four from maneuver. Great attacking forehand to the six on the ad side. Great serve out wide. You begin to see things differently. And, and none of the things we're talking about are so difficult. You know, I know seven's a stretch. But they're the, they're the simplest seven numbers we could come up with. So, you know, it could work like that. But our idea is it, it isn't just, okay, we've got an analytic trick here. We really want the players to understand how to have a way, have an organized way of analyzing what they do. And if we have something that's beneficial to them, we feel great about that. So, for example, if I get um... – if I play a set and we use the stats that other companies do um, or, and the stats of old, uh, I'm going to get, uh, say I made, it's say it says I made six forehand errors. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means because I don't know where they were hit from and I don't know where they went. So it's kind of useless. Yeah. You know? And it but doesn't I, I give you another one. It doesn't mean anything. The other night, I sometimes I don't watch tennis. I'm into the fourth season of something on Amazon, and you know I'm, I'm kind of addicted to it at this point. But Center was playing. Um, no, no, it was Alcaraz playing um, yeah. Zara. But I'm looking at the app from the U.S. Open, and I see oh, um, Zara lost that point. And it was a forced error. So I stopped my thing that I was watching and I went right back to the recording I had going. I said, I want to see what that is. So I said, yeah, I think that was a forced error. Why wasn't Alcaraz given credit for that? It was his forehand from the attacking area deep to the three that forced the error. And to us, I'm asking Dan as a player, What's the difference between that and hitting a winner in the corner? I mean, do you really care if you hit a good shot, if they get a racket on it or not? I, I, I personally right. don't. Right. So um, that's that's another unique difference that we have is um, whether it's a winner or not, um, where where they just get a racket on and they can't get it back, um, we give credit where credit is due. To um, the person the hitting the shot. Forcing shot. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And and it's interesting. I I can't remember if I told you all this when we were talking offline, but um I was recently doing a clinic, taking a clinic, and uh the coach was asking us what our bread and butter shots were. 
and, you know, made everybody kind of say there were four of us, what our, what our bread and butter shots were. And he said, okay, during the next two hours, I am going to watch for each of those shots from each of you and keep tabs on how many times you make it and how many times you miss it, because it's important when you think something's bread and butter that you're making it more than you're missing it. (laughs) Otherwise it's not bread and butter. (laughs) And so interestingly for all four of us, we were way off the mark. We were missing way more than we were making. And, you know, for me, it was like, well, I'm just having an off day. And he's like, you know, it doesn't matter that you're having an off day. You need to understand that that shot is not, you shouldn't be using that shot because you're not, you're, you're losing points with it more than you're winning points with it. And so I think that's kind of a more simplistic way of saying what you guys are saying, which is let's understand what's working for you as a player. Let's understand what's not working for you as a player and make the adjustments as needed. And yes, that can be different today than it is tomorrow. But as soon as you start thinking in those terms as a player on the court, you're going to start performing better because it forces you to understand what's happening in real time. That's exactly right. And it reminds me of this story. Um, that I think I might have told you the last time we spoke, um, which is sort of a representation of like the how you the practical application of all this stuff on a day to day basis. Um, so I, I'm working with this kid, and he plays a practice set. Um, their UTRs were seven or eight or so at the time, and um, the kid, the good players, you know, they the kid wins six four, and he comes off the court. And he's like, oh, coach, oh my God, my forehand stinks. It's so bad. We gotta, we gotta get back to work. This is, he's just really discouraged, and so on and so forth. And and this yeah. is the kid who won the set. Yeah, yeah, okay. and he's being a big drama queen and so on. And <laughs> so I charted that set with our app as I'm watching it, um, and. I told the kid, your forehand is the reason that you won the set. You should be feeling really good about it. And let me show you why. And look at all these neutral forehands that won you the point. Look at all these maneuvering forehands that won you a point. Look at all these attacking forehands. You even hit a couple good forehand returns. Um, <clears throat> but he did miss six neutral forehands, all of which were directed down the line. And so that his it's not like his um feeling about his forehand is invalid uh it is uh but it helped him get over the idea that his forehand stinks cuz and it helped him be a little more reassured that you know his forehand is actually pretty good and helped him be a good player and but it, there was one very specific forehand that he was missing so we knew exactly what to work on the next day. I was going to say, I mean, for you as the coach, that's huge, right? You go out and you work on the downline forehand, like no brainer. From that position specifically the Mm -hmm. most. And because, so the opposite of that would be like, Oh, you know, my forehand stinks and the coach is like, okay, well, I didn't see you play. So let's go with it. And then, uh, cause this is what happens. Right. And then, 
Yeah, let's hit a million cross court forehands. Let's hit some inside outs. Let's, I don't do this or that. And not once under that example, did we work on neutral forehands down the line and how to hit it and when to hit it and so on and so forth. And um, so like you could go a whole hour lesson working on forehands nonstop and never work once on the one forehand that he actually needed the most. And whereas in this case, we knew exactly what to work yeah. on, and it was easy for him to buy into it because the numbers are black and white right there. Right. And I walked him through it. Well, it happened on this point in the second game. Then it happened at this point, the end of the second game. Then it happened. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. And then so I don't have to convince him or sell him or persuade him on anything. He buys into it right there because the numbers are in black and white and it's not just some vague stat but my four forehand errors it's yeah. a very specific set stat so we know exactly what to work on so practicing is far more deliberate and purposeful right so when somebody comes to sevenshottennis.com what are they going to find there you look at some pictures first and you're gonna you're gonna see some rotating diagrams of one, two, three, four, five, six. So within a minute, you're probably gonna acquire a lot of that right there. Um, and you can go on from there and look at some other things, but you also can um we've been putting up what we think are some pretty interesting blogs recently. Uh I do recommend the Coco blog. We've got a couple of them going now. They're Two of them are up. The third one will come up on uh, Djokovic and Alcaraz. And, you know, we're using these methods. And particularly if you if you look at the Coco um, blog article, you'll see somewhere in the beginning what our process is. And it's like six steps to it. And amazingly, it comes from the business world. It, it's, uh, but that's another story. Um, the other thing you'll see is that we do sell things, one of which is analytics. And in order to do that, we would need video from a player. And then we'll do our thing. But then we want to get together with the player, the coach, and the parent. Um, I just got finished doing my safe sport course, so I know that I need to Good have- Good for you. I need to have the parent in the room who can interrupt me at any time. <laughs> I did get that question. But anyway, I would, so we want to try to get a relationship with the player. But with what we're doing right now, a Zoom, again, this is technology we didn't have. So it's easy to do this stuff longer distance. And so we offer that as a service. Uh, Dan has done a really great uh, video digital course in which you see a coach of Dan's caliber actually putting this stuff to work on the court. Um, he also did the heavy lifting on a playbook, which, you know, if you like to read pages and look at diagrams, all that stuff is there. But you can do all of this stuff just kind of getting the idea of what it is we're doing. And if you if you like a pad and paper, fine, but it's going to take you longer to total all that stuff up, yeah. <laughs> which is the big value of having having the app. Uh, Dan, did I miss anything there? How oh, old is Cuba? 
How old is Julian Ryan's daughter that was charting matches? With oh, she's like six or seven. This is really... Um, if a seven-year-old can do it, yeah, I think, I think the parents can. I think that 79-year-old on your team can probably do it, too. For I'm, sure. Um, I'm not far behind her, and I can still do it. But, yeah, um, yeah the, the, just quick on that, the Julie Schiffer that I mentioned earlier uh is now married and has three kids the her oldest child is last year of high school she's level nine really wants to get to be a 10 very motivated but the the youngest kid is seven and she goes out there and chats charts her older sister's matches with basically the same system i used with her mother 35 40 years ago. That's awesome. So it can be done. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So as we're getting ready to wrap up here, um, any last takeaways that you want to leave our audience with? Well, one of the things you can do if you send us a video and we do go to work on one of your matches is we have this really awesome new feature um, for video replay. So you can... um, watch the matches um, with no dead time. So we take out all the in-between points time, but you can also use uh, filters to watch those match videos. So for example, if you wanna see all the winning forehands you hit, it'll populate. If you wanna see all the um, non-winning forehands you hit, we'll call them, Uh, and all the airs that will populate them and you just use one of the filters, but it gets way more specific than that uh, because you can uh, use the filters for target areas. So I want to see all the points that ended with a backhand to the five, for example, um, or I want to see all the points that I lost in the neutral area or all the points that I won in the attacking area. So for example, if you wanted to see all the points that you won in the attacking area, you could find out a lot because you could find out where am I hitting those attacking shots from five, six feet inside the baseline and what am I doing with those shots? But also what did I do to get in that position in the first place? And so you can see how you're setting up the points and, you know, whatever motive motive you you can come up with, um, you can, you can also, you know, separate all the, all the points that I lost on the returns from a specific position. Um, So it gets really specific and it's a really cool way to watch your matches and figure out why am I winning these matches or why am I losing these matches? I could just add one thing too that we've also had a tagging system where sometimes you want to tag particular things like, um, you know, the drop shot may not have been the final shot, but it was very important. It had impact on the point. So I might use one star or one asterisk for that. Uh, earlier today, when I was doing some stuff on, on Coco's match with Ostapenko, Everybody goes away with the idea, well, Ostapenko just made so many errors. The real story of that match was how well Coco defended when Ostapenko hit shots into the singles alleys, side to side, once, twice, three, four times. 
that she probably would have won against other players who can't cover the court the way Coco can. And so I said, you know, every time I see that, I'm going to tag, tag. And, and other things, so I can go back to specific things. And, and this is something we think college coaches will really like. Yeah. Say, hey, I, we have this kid that does this and this kid that does that. We have a drop shot dodo. We have a macho return dodo on the team. We have a guy that's attack averse. I want all those points filtered out. Yeah, I, I can see the value in that and really helping kids understand how to problem solve in real time by watching old matches and analyzing what they did right, what they need improvement in, what their opponent did right, and what the opponent needs improving in um, to help build those game plans moving forward. So this is all about utilizing every single match, which is, my goodness, a message we've been saying for the 13 almost years I've been doing this. Kids need to play matches because every match is a learning opportunity. And now you're providing a structure for analyzing these matches and really hitting home what the lessons are to be gained from every single point played. And this is just, it's an incredible opportunity for kids to build their problem solving skills, to build their analytical skills, and to become better tennis players and find more enjoyment on the tennis court. Well said. <laughs> Hey, I'm nothing if not a cheerleader. I yeah, I know. And and I just, you know, I really want to encourage our audience to visit your website. Again, go to the show notes on parentingaces.com. We will have all the links for you. There will be links to graphics to help you really clearly understand what we've been talking about this last hour or so. But Dave and Dan, thank you so, so much for taking time out to do the podcast and for the time that you've spent with me in the weeks and months leading up to this recording session, um, helping me understand the work that you're doing and giving me the opportunity to share it with my audience. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. This is uh, you thank you a so great much. audience. And, uh... You've been doing this for a long time, Lisa. <laughs> Not quite as long as you've been catching up, Dave. <laughs> well, you know, I remember being on that first podcast with you and I couldn't put two words together, but hey. <laughs> we all get better. I, I I, I guess about a year ago, went back and listened to my very first episode, which was with Alan Fox. Ooh. And it was so bad. Not him, me. I was terrible. So we we all learn over the years, but I'm, I'm very grateful that we've had the opportunity to stay in touch and that you connected me with Dan and Dan and I have been connected on social media. So um, even though we're across the country from each other, we still have an opportunity to share knowledge and um, and get the word out to help grow this great game. So well, you're doing an awesome job. And um Believe me, every time I go to a tournament and I start looking around, observing parents, I think of you and uh, <laughs> it makes me that much more appreciative of what you're doing. Thank you. I should send you a stack of business cards, Dan. There you go. I'll send those two. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thanks again to my audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please.
please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.